You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, do you have your Bibles open to John chapter 1? And uh, we're just taking a brief uh, pause um, to, uh, to take a look at John chapter 1 all this December um, for an Advent series called Dwell. I know that you're bummed because it's not the shepherds and the angels, you know, and the, uh, the wise men, and you're like, this is communist. This is not even, you know, uh, our, our, our namesake of what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. But um, no, um, all of the Gospels uh, have a significant and important and irreplaceable um, perspective of introducing the person of Jesus. Um, every Gospel has a beginning, and so therefore every Gospel has a Christmas to it. Honey and locust, there it is. All right. Back in action. So, um, yeah, so Matthew is a Jewish audience, and he's like, Jesus wasn't the last-minute gift that God came up with on December 24th. He's like, this was a promised Messiah, you know, from the beginning of time, and so here's the lineage of, of, of David and Abraham and these things. And, um, and so Mark, Mark's, Mark's saying Jesus is a servant. So servants don't need a lot of hullabaloo to come out. You know, they just show up and they serve. You don't need to have a big backstory and a reality TV show based off of you. You just come and serve. And so that's what Mark's doing. Not a, not a long Christmas story. Um, Luke is the one that we love because it's, 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 he's the son of man. So he's, he's for blue-collar workers and shepherds and wise men and people that think they're too smart for God and people that think they're too far from God. And, and so from all the different directions of the earth, people are, are drawn to, to worship and witness Jesus. And, and so John, John uh, is important because we got to remember around this time of year, that Ricky Bobby is not right. You know, Ricky Bobby is not our prophet. He is not a six-pound, eight-ounce, eight cute, snuggly, burpy baby Jesus. Like, he's God, you know. He is the I am. Before, before any of this was created, even before we talked about last, last week, the light and the truth which created the light, even before the truth, God was. Just as he was, you know, Jesus says, I am, seven different times. And so we got to remember that the one we come to worship um, is, is God. And so the question I'm asking as we go through dwell, you know, this series in John, The Word Become Flesh, is do you know Jesus yet? Why did he put on flesh? Why did he come and unpack his bags? Why did he move in the neighborhood and stay? Why did he, why did he walk around with smelly people and in the dirt and the mire and get spit on and, and, and attacked? And why did he, he's tempted. He's tempted as much as you, even more so. He turned, the Father allowed the heat to turn up on him, that he would be tempted without sin. Why, why does he, he come and stay and dwell in flesh? Um, because he wants to be known. He's not a fact, he, 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 wants, he wants to have intimacy, not just information. He, he wants to be walked with and talked with. He wants, to, he wants to be known as a friend. Why does he come in the flesh? Um, he doesn't just want some of us. He wants, he wants all of us. He wants to have a wholehearted relationship with ugly sides, the, the strong sides of us, the weak sides of all of our lives, not just on Sunday morning, not just on Christmas, but he wants all of us is why he came in the flesh. He, he came in the flesh because he wants, he wants to have an action-oriented relationship, just not a thinking one. We're so informationally aged, we drink and we talk and we drink and we talk and we drink and we talk and we solve all the problems without doing anything. But how, how much of a relationship would I have with my wife if everything, if nothing I did ever agreed or stayed committed or showed any sort of loyalty or devotion to somebody? If I don't do something about the one that I love, then what kind of a relationship is that in the first place? So I think that Christmas comes to ask us that same question over and over again, do you know Jesus yet? That's why he came in the flesh, not just as in the spirit, to come in the flesh and dwell here and live here because he wants to be known. Um, we're going to begin with just a brief um, video this morning, uh, and I'll just cut it short, Justin, you know, for the sake of time, once we see enough. But this is a, a video of an Alzheimer's patient, if anybody has had any of that um, uh, in their lives. Just real quick, pa- pause this, Justin. Uh, and so just for what we're looking at, just 
uh, real quickly is that um, with Alzheimer's patient is a slow um, um, unraveling of, of your cognitive skills and your memory and short-term memory and long-term memory. And so what you're watching here is uh, with, with Alzheimer's patients is um, to get people to remember, you have to give them something they're familiar with, something that's maybe deeper down than something that they memorize for a math test, like something like motherhood, you know, to give them a baby doll, to really help them root down and remember it when they're, when they're being forgetful. So anyways, this is kind of the, what that looks like live in action in terms of treatment for Alzheimer's patients. Hey, she loves you, Nana. All right, that's that's enough. That's good. Um, so super sweet. I mean, um, put yourself in someone's shoes that has Alzheimer's. You woke up in the morning and you don't know what day it is and you don't know who you are and you don't know where you are and then somebody just comes and barges into your, your house and, and um, maybe tells you to eat something that you're not sure exactly sure what it is or calls you a name and you don't even exactly know what that name is and, and it would be a scary thing not to have your memory, right? To wake up and not have your memory, to have amnesia uh, would be a scary thing because essentially one of the scariest things you could forget, uh, not only where you are, what day it is, but who you are and to forget, you know, like who you can trust and where you're from and, and what you're doing in life, it's, it's like a scary thing to experience kind of memory loss, even if it's short-term or long-term or chronic or whatever. And so, you know, um, to, to, to care for somebody that has Alzheimer's, if you do any of the reading or, or if you've done it yourself, you know, like the key, um, uh, the key to caring for, for Alzheimer's isn't necessarily anything that you have to do to be smarter or quicker or faster or make some miracle happen. But the key to caring for Alzheimer's patients is just to be consistent, to be committed, like the most important thing to do for an Alzheimer's patient is to play music for them because music kind of goes beyond some of the cognitive reasoning. It goes right to the heart. It can really bring, bring up memories. Smells can kind of do the same thing, pictures and so forth. Keeping things simple, not talking for too long or making your sentences with many clauses, just keeping it simple, keeping it the same, keeping it simple. And, uh, and being consistent. If you, if you do something, uh, meals or, or bathroom time or bathing, to do it over and over and over again, consistency is really the goal of care for, for Alzheimer's. What you don't want to do for an Alzheimer's patient is argue with them. <laughs> you don't want to just like scream at them or yell at them or, or try to will themselves or will yourself upon them or shake them to try and make them remember something or to even tell them that their feeling is, is irrational, even though it is irrational, their feeling is real to them at least. And so to kind of honor the feelings and probably the best question you could ask for an Alzheimer's patient is like, hey, how can I help you? Just come alongside somebody and like honor the fact that like, you know, as much as reality is real around them, they don't know what reality is. So they're interpreting reality through some other lens, and so, so just meeting them where they are is a big deal. And, uh, and those people that care for uh, people that are close to them at Alzheimer's is very, um, very, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a struggle, it's a very painful situation, because ultimately what it means is, it, you know, it's the extreme version of loving someone that rejects you. Loving somebody that doesn't remember you, and it talks about the importance of somebody caring for Alzheimer's to go outside the room sometimes to take breathers, and to come back into the room refreshed, and, and, and to... Um, uh, pull yourself kind of together back back to center before you come back into that because, you know, heaven knows you're going to need it. And, and and people caring for Alzheimer's, the reason why you do it is because there are so many bad days, but at the end of the day, the reason why you continually care for Alzheimer's patients is because you're looking for that one good day when they'll come back to you, when they'll remember you, when they'll, when they'll see you 
you know, for who you are. And so if there's two, there's two, all throughout the Bible, two repeated uh, commands, the most popular commands, if you put it in Google, that God ever says in the Bible, there's two of them if you ever looked them up. The first one is to fear not. Well, that makes sense to me, right? As a 40-year-old, I didn't understand that, I guess, when I first got saved. But fear not is the most important command in the Bible because pretty much everything wrong in my life comes out of fear. Anyone here jump to the conclusions map this, this week? Just jump to the conclusions map. Read that text message, assume what they said, assume what they were going to say once you said it back to them. Like you, you jumped all the way down to the worst case scenario until, you know, you felt embarrassed when they told you what they really thought, you know, and what the truth really was because fear will drag you down a, a road real quick. But it's almost like the problem in the first command is solved by the second command. You know what the second command, the most important second command in all the Bible is to remember. It's almost like the two commands almost counteract each other the first is the problem, the second one is the solution. If there's anything that could go wrong in a human's day, it's to be fearful. And if there's anything productive and powerful for a human being to do like you and me is to remember. Remember who God is and remember who you are and remember the goodness of God. Because the problem is not so much, not only for non-believers, but for believers as well, is not so much that we've never known Jesus because he's far off. It's actually the greatest problem is, is more often that, um, it's not that we never knew Jesus, it's, it's that we often forget him. That we follow a forgotten God and we are forgetful people. And so when we come together and worship, how many of you guys have been um, 15 minutes into a worship set and something about the music, like somebody could have preached to you all day long, but something about the music stimulates your heart and your soul and you just, you say to yourself almost under your breath, I can't believe I forgot again. I can't believe I forgot. I did it again, didn't I? I forgot how good he was. I forgot how permanent he was. I forgot how consistent, I forgot, didn't I? I didn't need to hear something new. I just need to be reminded of something that I knew. Oftentimes in sermons, I know, just as good as you guys know, like I'm not preaching to you guys most of the time anything new. People aren't saying amen to the things that are new to them. They're saying amen to things they knew that they forgot. I, I lean on the, on, on, when I get nervous about preaching or anything, I, I just lean on the reality that I'm not really preaching anything that hasn't already been preached to you, at least by a preacher, if not by the spirit of God. And when I say something and you're saying amen, you're agreeing to really not what I'm saying, to what God has already said. I'm just giving words to what you already know if I'm preaching well on, on a Sunday morning. And when somebody comes up on a testimony, like when, when an when a, you know, emergency room doctor and his family take all four of his kids, like from last week, and go to Puerto Rico, like it's like, it's the first time you've ever heard that story, but you've kind of heard that story before. The reason why it's stirring to you is you're like, I know that reputation. I know the person that does that. I know the person that calls people into that. There's something about that that reminds me of Jesus. And so that's, that's the true problem, the true symptom, and then the true solution is, is the fear of man, you know, and, and the remembrance of God. And, and, and that's almost, if anything, why we're, why we're even gathered here today. Because the days you know, are so, so evil and, and, and they, they come to um, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You woke up today with an assignment, a target on your back to make you forget, to, to bully you, to bribe you, to fool you. And if anything, today, the reason why we're even gathered between two tables of, of, uh, of communion today is to do what God told us to do, which is come back to him and to remember, to remember him. So um, we're looking at um, an important character of the Bible, um, which you got to love about John, is that there's only one real character that announces and proclaims and points the way towards Jesus in the book of John. I mean, that's the best part of the book of John is the simplicity of it. If you read it for what John does that the other ones doesn't, there's only one character. There's not shepherds and angels and, and wise men and all. There's just one dude shouting in the desert with a Fred Flintstone outfit on named John the Baptist. And it makes it super clear about what all those other people were doing, which is um, which, uh, he is not the light. Like the first four or five verses of John talk about the light and Jesus and, and the warmth of the light and the clarity of the light, but draws a distinction that, that the guy that points to Jesus is not Jesus. Like you and me, as we remember Jesus, we're not Jesus. That's a great yoke to take off of our shoulders, but we are a witness. 
And so John the Baptist comes in, and, he, and he, he's, he's a singular voice, a singular echo in the desert to cry out, don't miss this one. Don't forget who called you. Don't forget who's saving you. He was pointing forward to the one that we point back on, and he's, he's, he's pointing forward and asking us again this question, do you know Jesus? And really, the, the, the better way to say that for the intentional question this morning is, like, not did you ever meet him, but do you remember him? Arguably, even non-believers were made by him. And when we're preaching the gospel, we're, almost, we're not inviting them to go somewhere else. We're inviting them to come home to where they're from. Do you remember Jesus? Have you been reminded of Jesus? Have there been shepherds in your life, caretakers, pastors, leaders, youth pastors that have taught you about Jesus, that remind you of Jesus? Do you have um, messengers? Angels are just messengers. A biblical angel is super scary, by the way. So maybe we can you know, dumb them down to just a child in youth group, maybe, that can speak to you, that can remind you of Jesus. Have you been reminded of Jesus? He sent messengers your way. Have you been reminded? How have you been reminded of Jesus? The first question. Secondly, how will you remember Jesus? There's that movie Memento where the guy couldn't remember anything longer than nine seconds, so he got tattoos all over his body to remember certain things. What would you have to do to, to put yourself in the place of remembering this week? In the light of community, in the, in the, in the, in the crowd of witnesses that would point you towards Jesus. How about this? I'm a social studies teacher. People remember 10% of what you say, right? 50% of what they say and like 90% of what they do. Maybe the ministry you do is more for you than the person you're doing ministry to because the best way to remember something is to do it, is to preach the gospel, is to act out the gospel. Maybe the best way to remember the goodness of God is to work into the goodness of God and express the goodness of God in your life. Those are the three questions I think John the Baptist might ask us through these pages in in, uh, John chapter one. Do you remember Jesus? Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now I'm a nostalgic guy, especially around Christmas time, and it makes you sad to think that uh, everything that exists under the sun, there is, a, there is a last day for it. There's a last time that everything is going to happen for the last time. You know, last time you're going to tie your kid's shoes and the last time you're going to, you know, say goodbye to your spouse. There's a last for everything, you know? And, uh, and I kind of wonder what it's like. I mean, obviously the person wouldn't know it, known it, but like somewhere along in the U.S. history of, of our past as, as a nation, there was a last cowboy, like maybe that was Clint Eastwood, you know, like that's, that's sad to think about. Like what if he woke up one day and he was like, well, I guess I'm the last cowboy. Like that would be super sad. I don't know if you thought of that before. Or the last pirate, you know, these pirates. I don't know if you count the Captain Phillips pirates as real pirates. I'm talking about real like eye patch type, uh, you know, pirates. It's super sad. And even now in, 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 uh, in Portland, I think, or in Oregon at least, did you know there's a last blockbuster? Some of you 90s kids are super sad. There's a last blockbuster, right? Um, and so John, again, he's, he, he must know that we're ADD, so he makes it super simple. There's not 15 different characters, there's one character. And it's a man, his name is John. And it reminds us that all the shepherds, the best shepherd on the best day, all they're, they're really there, there for is to do what John is doing, which is to witness, which is to point, point to Jesus. And so there's this, this inextricable line that's drawn between the light. Like he talks for five verses about the light, but then he says, here's this other guy, and here's the main thing I want you to know about this guy is that he's awesome, and there's no greater prophet than him, but he's not the light. He points the light, but he's not the light. So verse 7 says, He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. So I love that, um, really, John has a great, you know, credential from Jesus. I mean, Jesus says that there's been no greater man born of a woman um, than, than this cousin of his, John, who was born with the Holy Spirit, you know, born with the Holy Spirit inside of him. No greater man. He has a great office. The great office of the prophet is to, the priest is to talk to God about people, but the prophet is to talk to people about God. And he is a clairvoyant voice at a, at a critical time in, in spiritual history to speak about God. Uh, but, then, but then he even says, like, I'm not worthy of tying 
Jesus' shoes. Like, I'm low on the totem pole. And, and, and Jesus says that, uh, that all of us, if any of us are in the new covenant, he is the floor to our ceiling. He is just the beginning of the long line of witnesses. And so really the point is, is that John was a great man and he did a great thing and he walked and did his part. He was not Jesus, but he was a great man in the kingdom of God. And, uh, and all the credentials and accolades that he had, even though he was a prophet, a very singular kind of mist- almost mistaken for Elijah type of prophet, nothing was greater in his role, in his job description than the word that is written next to his name in verse seven, that he was a witness. More important than anything else that John ever did other than being a Baptist, or being a, the first Baptist, I guess, being John the Baptist and the cousins of Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit when he was born, nothing was more important than, than talking to God about people and talking to people about God. I want to offer you today, uh, this week, uh, um, a challenge that I, I don't think is going to steer you wrong. I want to offer you a challenge this week um, to, to dedicate this week to be a witness and see if by the end of this week, like if guitar player, guitars are made to be played and microphones are made to be talked in and, and, and witnesses are made to witness, if you find yourself more fulfilled, more happy, less stressed, and more clarified, if you focused on just those two occupations to talk to God about people and talk to people about God. Before you jumped in on, on your mother-in-law and started talking about her, before you started talking about this coworker, you're talking about this problem, talk to, talk to God about people. Watch what happens when a guitar player turns the guitar facing with the strings out and starts strumming it. It actually works the way it's supposed to be designed. This thing is saying that the most important thing, if you're a shepherd or angel, it doesn't really matter. There are all these sub-job descriptions to the great job description, which is the point to the light. And watch if, if your fulfillment, your happiness, your peace, your sense of like what I'm created for doesn't come to clarity by simply witnessing, by talking to God about people and talking to people about God. Verse 8 says, he himself is not the light, but he came to be the, to do the greatest thing that a person could ever do. I mean, tie the feet of Jesus. You know, Jesus is obviously greater than all the greatness, but the greatest thing a man could do on this earth is point to the real one, point to the light. So here's what's interesting about verse 8, right? Read this with me. He himself was not the light, but he came to, as Acts 1 and 2 tell us about us, he came to be a witness to the light. The greatest thing you could do with your life is, is to be a witness. And this is probably the most important thing about the, vo- the verse here is that the witness in this verse, if we read it rightly, is not a thing to do, but a person to be. Witnessing is not putting a sandwich board out there and yelling louder. That's not what witnessing is. That might be something you might be called to do, but that is not what the Bible means when it says witness. A witness is not a thing, it's a person. A witness is not keeping your car clean and your schedule clear and staying organized enough that somebody would, you know, I'm going to be a good witness and I don't want to ruin my witness. The problem is you can't ruin your witness because you'd be ruining yourself. You are a witness whether you like it or not. You are witnessing him because you're walking around with the Holy Spirit. Being a witness is not being a good arguer. Being a witness does not mean you're the lawyer or the judge. It just means you have the testimony. Because you do not do witnessing, you are a witness. So here's the thing. I just want to just test it out with your own knee-jerk reaction, like a YouTube poll right here, right? Like, what's the greatest compliment you could ever receive? Usually I've found that people give compliments that they wish they could receive, right? That's usually what you know. Like, when somebody gives a compliment, it's like they're probably looking for that thing because they really value it. Like, have you ever said to somebody, man, I really like this person because they just get to the point. Don't y'all just love people that just get to the point? They don't beat around the bush, and they're not just like being friendly with you sometimes, cold and hot. You just like people to get to the point. Anybody here an eight on the Enneagram? I just love it when they just get to the point. There's people that are just, man, like the point of life is fun, right? So let's be funny. I just love, they're so funny. I've never met something about the way their face looks when they talk. They're just funny. They don't even have to try to be funny, and they're funny, right? That's a great compliment, right? Or just being smart. I mean, golly, smart can get you somewhere in life, right? You don't want to bring home, you know, a girl to meet your mom, to get married to, and have your mom be like, she's dumb. You know, she's dumber than a box of rocks. Like, that's not what you want. So these are all great compliments, and let's aim and strive for these things. But can I, can I just YouTube poll you? Is there anything better than someone saying, you remind me of Jesus? 
is there anything better that you could say about somebody else? That like, you're affecting my kids' kids and not just what I, how I experienced Tuesday, but what I believe about reality? Like, is there anything better that you could bear on your name or your reputation or what people think about you when they think about your name? Then you remind me of Jesus. It's probably the best compliment that anybody could ever receive. I was in a um, worship night this uh, couple weeks ago. I have no idea. You know, we don't. <laughs> you know, the more you grow older, you realize you don't plan anything. Everything is just a big mistake all the time. Everything, like, just happens to you. Like, you know, you're just getting punched over and over and over again. And I just got the sweetest, like, in the middle of worship, this Facebook message from this guy. And he was in, <clears throat> in my high school, and he was quirky and funny and probably 100 pounds and six foot two, you know what I mean? And just all the, like, I don't even think we knew what ADD was back then. We just thought people were crazy, <clears throat> you know? And he was, he was you know, t- maybe a little bit tough to deal with. He wrote me this message. Have you ever gotten a message like this? Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you should write somebody a message like this. He wrote to me this message all the way back from high school. And he said, he's like, Oliver, you would have never known this. He was like, I mean, I would go through the hardest times in high school. And like, I just remember, like, I don't even think I ever like witnessed him, like spoke to him about Jesus. But he was like, like, you were just so nice to me. Right? Like from high school, he was like, there were days I know now, like, I probably wouldn't have made it. Other than, like, a few people in my life, and, like, I know we weren't best friends. I'm 38 now. Like, I just want you to know, like, you were nice to me, and that mattered. Like, is there anything more important about, like, how you're perceived or, or, or what your reputation is or what you're doing in this earth other than to witness and to talk to people about God, talk to God about people? Like, to be a witness is, like, it's the extent of human capacity. It's, like, there's no greater thing. And so I want to, you know, encourage you, like, the, the word witness, it's translated, it really means martyr, a martus. It, it is saying, like Paul says, to be a living sacrifice. It's saying, like, well, because he paid for my death and all that I do is, is, is live, then to, then to die is gain and to live is Christ. And I'm going to live out my days in replacement of the life that he could have, should have lived, and he gave me, and I'm going to let his life live through me. That's what a, that's what a witness is. It's to be a martyr. It's to be a walking, living martyr and, and, to, and to, to die as, as, as Christ and to live as gain. And so here's the reality about, you know, encouragement about being a witness, right? So the witness of Stephen is he's getting stoned and as he's dying, his last breath, as he's witnessing, preaching a sermon that no one responds to, is to look up at the sky and tell them forgive, to tell the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In other words, what's the point? Is it doesn't, like, it doesn't take people to be converted, converted for you to be a witness. Whether or not people received or rejected, he still was a witness because witnessing isn't something you do, it's someone you are. You could be at home. I mean, arguably, I'll say this. I mean, I could argue this theologically that if you're at home and even if your kids are running around and you're washing the dishes, you might just be witnessing to those dishes. Maybe that's your job today. And even if your kids don't hear anything or respond to anything or react to anything, like a witness doesn't stop witnessing just because they're not sharing systematic theology. You are a witness everywhere you go because you carry the spirit of God. As long as you're talking to people about God and talking to God about people, you are doing your job. And I want to give you that challenge this week that there's no greater way to spend your week and there's no more fulfilling way to do your week other than to be who you are and be who you're created to be is to talk to people about God and talk to God about people. Verse nine, the true light that gave light to everyone is coming into the world. There's a real cheesy uh, pastory joke that Everyone always says, I did the study in the Greek this week, and everyone means everyone. But it's true. Everyone does mean everyone. This is where, I, where we all have hard times with the idea of the frozen chosen and people being born to go to hell. Like, everyone means everyone. 
People in the biker gang and the prisons and the people in your cubicle and the gym and the person that just does too much and says too much, like Jesus came for them. Matter of fact, they might be closer to Jesus than some of us religious people that think we know we can put them in a box. But Jesus came as the true light for everyone. Here's the problem, though. It's not that we never met Jesus, that he came. He was so close that we forgot him. We didn't recognize him in our midst, which is why witnesses are necessary. Verse 10, he was in the world, and imagine this. Imagine creating something that forgot who you were. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. There it is. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, though you, though you married that person or they're your child or you're your father and you spent years and years and years, if somebody has amnesia or has Alzheimer's, they might have known you, but if they forget you, then it's like they never knew you in the first place. It's not that people didn't know God. It's that they were groping around in the dark for, for the Garden of Eden and they couldn't find God, not because he wasn't close. They just didn't recognize him. I always thought, you know, that if I saw Superman face-to-face with a pair of glasses on, I'd know who he was, right? I'm telling you what, Michael Fowler, do you guys know who this is? This is how dumb I am, okay? I'm a pastor. I love you guys. I pray for you guys every day. And I go to coffee with Michael Fowler all the time. He showed up at Easter a little bit too dressed up with a pair of glasses on. I didn't even know who the guy was. His girlfriend was here, and I was like, who is that guy with you? That was Michael. I was like, what in the world? I follow, uh, I don't remember, who's Logan on X-Men? Whatever that guy's name. Hugh Jackman. He's on planes with baseball hats on, just walking around. Nobody knows him. You probably were, probably not The Rock, but somebody famous. You were probably near somebody famous this year, and you didn't even know it. John Stamos was, had, had a visor on, and you just didn't recognize him or something, you know? Like, you think you would see him, but you, you know, we, we, we overtrust our sense of perception. We trust our eyes, and we think we'll see Jesus, and we think that he's far from us, and that the problem is that he's too far, when actually, you know, the scriptures continue to say he's so close we can't see him because we're blind to our own noses, that he comes to us in the voice of a child that he comes to us in a rote scripture verse that seems like we know it. It's so familiar we don't know it anymore. He comes to us in stuff that we disagree because we think that he's going to look like us, talk like us, walk like us. He comes to us and he's like, Jesus, where were you? It's like, I was right here. He just didn't like it. It didn't, re- it didn't fit your palate. You didn't recognize me. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own didn't even receive it. How scary would it be to wake up and not know your name and know who you are and then somebody says you should eat this and somebody says that your name is Mary when you think that your name is Sue. Like, what does it mean to not remember who you are and then all of a sudden have everybody tell you to remember, to remember, to remember? We can learn a lot about discipleship. We can learn a lot about evangelism, about about spiritual amnesia from physical amnesia that we too probably should, you know, bide our time or at least calculate or pull punches as far as what arguing is really going to do for anybody to win arguments. You know, to, to question and judge people's feelings about the way that they perceive reality or their history. Like, if a person is, is deceived and, and, and paranoid, like, it's hard to argue them out of that. If they're blind, the best thing we could do potentially is go up to them and say, hey, like, where are you? How can I help you? That's probably respecting at least the step that they're at. To keep things simple, to not overcomplicate them. I love you. God loves you. Jesus came to save you. To keep it simple, to keep it consistent, to use music and art and and. and all of the creation, which is constantly preaching and witnessing to us in the gospel. Like, aren't we learning a lot about spiritual amnesia by watching physical amnesia? Isn't maybe that why God allows that to take place is for us to understand what his people are like, to be standing in front of God and not remember his face? So isn't, isn't then the, 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 the knowledge, the wisdom there, of, of if we were to, to, to transfer that and, and take that home and translate that to, to ministry, you know, the way I would talk about it here at City Lights is like we say the table. You know, the table is for small group. The table is how we do discipleship. But the table is also how we do outreach. The table is where both people meet and get to know Jesus. 
People that are lost need bread and word and prayer just as much as people that are following Jesus need bread, word, and prayer. Here are three ways I think that we could be witnesses, like consistently, to be devoted. People need multiple opportunities. Some statistics say that people need to hear the gospel seven times before they ever even understand it and repent to it. So that means that six people have to be able to be brave enough to preach the gospel and be rejected before the, the seventh time happens, right? So what are the three, three you know, things in our arsenal when it comes to the gospel? Like, what does bread mean? It means, like, you're going to stay with people longer than the world will stay with people. And so evangelism is just loving and serving and loving and serving and loving and serving and out loving and serving, not loving and serving. Like, that is the gospel. That is the witness of Jesus. But it's also... It's also not checking your head at the door and inviting people not just to, you know, come into some kumbaya session. Like, you can speak to them about the prophecies of Jesus. That these are the, probably the three most convincing apologetic arguments that I know of is, is the, the prophetic fulfillments. There's like 10 times the 88,000th or whatever, you know, possibility that all the prophets would line up and Mary would have a baby in the way that he did. The prophecies, you know, the, the problem of evil, the fact that everybody knows what good is and nobody does it. It's probably a great conversation to have. What do you think about that? Why is it that... The, the solutions that we're, we're, we're putting out there politically in 2023 didn't work in 1980 and probably aren't going to work in 2040. But also, also the desire of good that C.S. Lewis says that if people have an urge and a and hunger for something, there must be something that they're created for that is beyond what we can see. These are things that we should know about and be, be ready to talk about and give a reason for our hope. And then lastly, as you think about helping a person that maybe is forgetting or maybe has a, has a vague recollection of even who Jesus is, just to pray for them. Pray for people that you might pray with people. That if you walk alongside people at the table for long enough, they're going to have a problem that only gods can solve. And that might be their platform for the sermon they need to hear. Don't forget, in your arguing and in your loving, to not just lean on the hand of God to do what he's told you to do, which is to pray for people and to put your hand and, and watch God move in ways that move beyond the mind. But all three of these things are, are operable. They're anointed. All three of these things are categories of what a witness is. I argue like a three-legged stool. If you're doing one of them without the other two, it probably won't work. To be of bread and word and prayer, both in terms of evangelism and discipleship. All right, closing up in verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what if you had amnesia? And uh, you didn't know that you had amnesia, but then for 10 seconds you had a moment of clarity. Just 10 seconds of clarity, like you remembered the worship song, reminded you of who you are and that God has chosen you and the permanence of his love and the and faithfulness of his, of his character. Like you had a good day that day. What would you do? If a sermon clicked or if the scripture came alive to you or God like, brought the exact verse that you wanted. Like, what would you do if you had, like, 10 seconds of clarity? Like, you know, what, what would you do if, if somebody gave a testimony that inspired you and said, you know what, I, I got a lot of dreams in my moleskin, but, like, none of them are as important as the testimony that I just heard. Like, to go to the nations is the call of every disciple. Like, what if you had just 10 seconds in a week's worth of ambiguity, 10 seconds of clarity? I would, I would try to write it down. And Deuteronomy says, you know, you want to you grab a journal, you want to write it down, you remember the scripture, you might even get a tattoo of it. Some of you guys have done that already, and that's probably a great strategy because we're so forgetful. But John says, you know, the most important thing you could do with a moment of clarity is to receive Jesus. If you hear his heart, don't wait for tomorrow. Turn today. Don't harden your heart. Turn today. Return to Jesus. Come back to him. And take on the promise that, that Jesus came to deliver, which is like salvation is, is not knowing more or doing more or, or trying harder. Salvation is, is, is as a miracle, as, as an amnesia patient, remembering something is so much it is that you and I would become or walk as children of God, that the message and the choice that John wants to push for us in this verse and in the bottom verses of John chapter 1 is all of this is to bring us to this crossroads. Like, are you born again? 
That's why there's 400 years of silence. That's why there's years and years and years of forgetfulness of Jesus in our own testimonies to show us that man, even the best of prophets, is nothing without Jesus. It gets us to the edge of ourselves to realize that like, what we need is not a better plan and a better strategy, but we need to be born again. We, need to be, we, we, we can't do it on our own. We, we, we need his promise. We need him to fulfill this thing in our midst. It's, it's to be a child of God is to be born again. And so verse 13 goes on and tells us, sometimes to teach somebody something, you have to teach them what it's not. He tells us three things that I'll close with that are, that are not the things that we are remembering. They're not the recognition of Jesus. And sometimes you have to know what something is not, the counterfeit to realize the real. Verse 13 says this, children born not of natural descent, and I'll call that um, family of origin or, or, the, or blood, um, nor of human decision, I'll call that work, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So there it is, verse 13. There's three things to watch out for that are non-examples of who Jesus is in a world that wants to replicate and duplicate him and even our own memories that can kind of fade over time and be stubborn-hearted. Three things to remember that Jesus is not is he's not of our blood, he's not of our flesh, and he's not of our work. If you guys ever got to the end of the Chronicles of Narnia series, one of the best um, books is the last one. Um, I think it's called The Last Battle. And it is, because we all zoned out after the first movie and then DreamWorks or whatever lost its contract and never made the last one. But it would have been super helpful, I feel like, in, in most recent spiritual times. The beginning of this book, it's a monkey and a donkey. They go on a walk in the woods and they find an Aslan costume. Boy, this will preach. They find an Aslan costume and the ape convinces the donkey to let him put the costume on, pretend like he's Aslan. So he creates an entire little cult of people all around him. And he goes into the tent and acts on behalf of God and starts to, you know, tell people like he is God. And he, and he puts the Aslan costume on. And all the time little animals are looking at me going, he looks like Aslan, but it's, something's not quite right with him. He's not quite like Aslan. And so there's this equipping, right, of, of false saviors. One of the three things that I have up there on the notes there, three things that, that Jesus is not. Jesus is not your family of origin. Jesus is not the fact that you went to youth group. That means that is not Jesus. That's not salvation. If you went to youth group and you happened to know everybody in your circle and you went to dentists and played soccer and had a Kiwanis club and you went to the right school and everybody you know is a Christian, that must mean that's not Christian. Christian is born again. Who you grew up with in your family of origin, your tree, your traditions, the fact that you go to Easter and Christmas, that's not, that's not born again. That everybody says amen at the right sermons, none of those things, all those things are wonderful things, but that could be distractions, that could be counterfeit. That could be the dress up of who the real Jesus, Jesus is not asking us to try harder, but to be born again. Secondly, he is not born of the flesh, meaning he's not born of religion. It's not doctrinal agreements. It is not, um, it is not the fact that I get butterflies at the Hillsong concert. It's not the fact that I cuss or don't cuss or drink or don't. This is the only thing that legitimizes a child of God. It's when, it's when I went to the doctor with Kyra when she was pregnant with Rose, and they put that little heart monitor on her belly. And you remember it? Whoosh, 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 whoosh. People either have a heartbeat for Jesus or they don't have a heartbeat. People are either regenerated, born again, or they're not. And no matter what's coming out of their mouth or what they wear or if they cuss or they don't cuss or if they have, nobody knows but God who's saved. Nobody knows but God who's, who's a child of, who is a child of God other than the one who can see into the heart. So it's not by blood. It's not by flesh. It's not by works. It's not by being a good pastor or being poor that makes you saved or having a, a good theology that gets you saved. It's, it's loving Jesus and hating sin. And if, 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 if the, the heartbeat inside of me is drawing me ever more to hate sin and love Jesus, then I know 
that what he started, he's going to complete. And I am a child of God. No matter what tattoos I have or where I've been and where I'm headed, Jesus will not, not fail at what he started to do. But if I don't have that heartbeat, if I'm not born again, then I am, I'm only born of blood. I'm only born of flesh. I'm born of work. And none of that stuff is enough. None of that stuff is the light. None of that stuff is Jesus. I'll invite the band to come forward. And uh, let me just read these last remember questions since we're so forgetful, right? And then uh, we'll do communion, which is actually all about remembrance. And I didn't say if, but how. How have you been reminded of Jesus? I was so thankful one time. That, uh, somebody asked me, like, who is your discipler? You know, like almost like I was um, Obi-Wan Kenobi or something like that. And I needed Yoda to disciple me. Like, who is the person? And I, and I loved, maybe this is your story too. Like, I couldn't point to one in particular person. When somebody asked me that question, a flood of memories came into my mind. I thought of an entire quilt of people. Hosea says, a strand of human kindness that went through my life when I was 8 and 10 and 25. Like, Jesus' hands and feet were, were not just in one place at one time, but scattered through my, my entire life. God has been faithful in every season of my life to bring people to help me remember. To bring me shepherds and angels and wise men and all sorts of people that come to me to continue to remind me. Because Jesus is faithful not to show himself once, but to continually show himself that I might not forget him and be full of fear. Secondly, how will you remember if you've forgotten Jesus? What is it that, you know, if you had 10 seconds of clarity, if you wrote something down, what would you write down to remind yourself when you didn't feel like it? To stay committed, to stay in the light, to be, to be closer into the warmth and the light and the clarity of, of community and his witnesses. And lastly, I just ask you, can you help me remember Jesus? I'm just as bad as you, man. I am so quick. Like, I'm... Sky high right now, I feel great. 10 out of 10. If I'm a cell phone battery, I'm feeling at least 98%. But in like an hour, I'm going to be down to 50 again. <laughs> and I'm just saying, for me and for you and for the people around you, there's no better use of your time, no more fulfilling use of your time, and no more useful use of your time than reminding people of Jesus. People need to be reminded. They need to be reminded. They, they're, they're forgetful. We are forgetful people. And will you help us remember? Will you help us remember when we forget? Will you help us remember when we put the Aslan suit on and pretend like we are better than we are? And remember who Jesus is and what he came to do. You help us to remember this is a great ministry that we can do for ourselves. The one that John the Baptist started, but we will continue is to be witnesses. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.